We've been looking at examples of the kind of faith that God commends. Our God responds to our faith. It is true. The scripture tells us in Hebrews eleven six, it promises and warns us without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have here before us a woman who did just that. Who is she? Well, the scripture tells us in verse 21 of Matthew 15 that she was a woman of Canaan. So she is a Gentile background, the remnant of the accursed race that inhabited the promised land. And the Lord instructed his people to annihilate them to absolutely. They never did that totally. And so she was a Syrophoenician woman. We'll see more in just a moment. She no doubt was raised in an idolatrous, grossly immoral and pagan religious background that, as I've mentioned, the Lord commanded in Deuteronomy 7 verse 2 to utterly destroy. Now, some people have trouble with that, but it is the Lord's command and was. This we know that God judges sin. He judges all sin. He chooses when and where he will judge sin. And I would just encourage you to read Leviticus chapter 18 as God enumerates the sins and the practices of the inhabitants of Canaan and said, these things should never be named among my people. And you will see exactly why he commanded them to do just what he did. But nevertheless, she had no claims upon the promises of God. Yet it's obvious that she had heard of the one true God. She would have had little or no exposure to the temple or the sacrifices and their meanings or to the priesthood, or anything remotely that would point her to the one true God. And yet she was a believer. Look there in verse 22, at the basis of her plea, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. In that statement of faith, she shows us more than all the Sanhedrin and the scribes and the religious leader of Jesus' day, Lord, thou son of of David. She has great faith that Jesus indeed was the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, sent from God. She had heard, no doubt, of his miracle working power, else she would not have come to beseech him in this way. She reminds me of the song, It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. She had heard. And she came. Somehow, by God's grace, the word of God had reached her. In her region, Mark's account says she was a Syrophoenician of race. And they worshipped Astarte and other pagan deities in that region. And yet, the gospel, the coming of Christ had pierced her darkness and she had found him. Someone has noted the fact that she came to Jesus, a Jewish teacher and healer, shows that she was disillusioned with the empty idolatrous and immorality that characterized her own religion. In turning to Jesus, she turned from the way of Satan and sin to the Lord. And that is the essence of repentance. Her plea is further proof of her repentance. She had no grounds, as we've mentioned, to call on Jesus' name, no right, humanly speaking. And Jesus will point that out to her in just a moment. 
She knew that she was an outsider. She knew that she was unworthy, that she was of pagan background. And so she pleads not for justice. She doesn't plead her rights. She does not say, I'm of the covenant tribe of Israel, the people of Israel. She has nothing to lay claim to. But what does she lay hold on? Oh, I've got good news for you this morning. Do you know what she pleads before Jesus? His mercy. She pleads his mercy. Her only hope was his unearned, undeserved forgiveness, his grace. By simple definition, mercy is begging for something out of our reach. If you're asking someone for mercy, you don't have it. You need it, and only they can give it. It was unmerited. And it is the essence of God's salvation. From Adam's fall, the human race has been cut off from God. That word fall is a simple way of describing the great gulf fixed between the unfallenness of Adam and to what he became after disobeying the Lord's one command. He plunged himself and the human race into death and destruction and being cut off from God. Even at the giving of the law, though, the Lord making covenant with his people, he told them in Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, this is the Lord saying of himself, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. God's own definition of himself. Merciful, gracious, full of patience toward sinners and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Oh, what a merciful God we have. The kind of faith that receives God's blessings always involves a deep repentance rooted in a deep sense of unworthiness. None of us are worthy of this mercy that we need and that we seek. Charles Spurgeon writes in his book, All of Grace, repentance is inseparable companion of faith. And while we that uh, and the while that w we walk by faith and not by sight, the tear of repentance glitters in the eye of faith. That is not true repentance, which does not come from faith in Jesus, and that is not true faith in Jesus, which is not tinctured with repentance. Faith and repentance, like twins, Siamese twins, are vitally joined together. Faith and repentance are but two spokes in the same wheel, two handles of the same plow. Repentance has been well described as a heart broken for sin and from sin, and it may equally well be spoken of as the turning and returning. It is a, a change of mind of the most thorough and radical sort and is attended with sorrow for the past and a resolve for amendment of the future. Repentance of sin and faith in divine pardon are the warp and woof of the fabric of real conversion. Repentance adds nothing to faith, but is rather an integral part of it. Saving faith is a repentant faith. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are inseparable. Acts 20 verse 21 tells us they been because they are inseparable. The scripture sometimes refers to salvation by the term repentance. Paul declares that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. 
And Peter insists that God is not for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so that's who she was, a Canaanite woman outside the, the law, outside of the covenant of, of people of God, with no claim to God or his promises, and yet she comes. What boldness. There would be those who would try to stop her along the way, and we see even some who intervene at this point, but the Lord Jesus Christ sees her great faith. That's who she was. But secondly, I want us to see this morning that she came to the right source. Many are awakened to their great need and would agree to their great need, but they try to fix it with empty things, with fruitless things that have no power. Many who are awakened to their need will try religion and a religious system and a list of do's and don'ts, and they practice a religion to try to fill that, that great need to no avail. Others will try relationships. If I just get around, around the right people and good influences and hang out at church or some religious group, they'll, they'll try relationships. Others try remedies at, at the recommendation of others. If you'll just do this and all kinds of things, the list is endless. And they will often listen to the advice of others who are equally hopeless and who've not found the answer. Who are you listening to this morning? I wonder, I always marvel at where people get their information. We hear a lot about that today. And I could care less where you get your information. Generally speaking, I, I don't mean I don't care at all. But when it comes to the matters of the soul, it's of utmost importance where you get your information. There's only one source. Where are you getting your advice this morning? Oh, we point you to Jesus by his word. Mark 7 verse 5 tells us that she heard about him. I love that truth. And it's so important to compare the scriptures and to read the gospel accounts in one gospel where it's mentioned in another. Then you get a full orbed picture of what takes place. Why did she come, this Syrophoenician woman from Canaan, who was from a pagan, idolatrous, immoral background, the immorality was ingrained in their worship. It was absolutely despicable and debauched. How and why is she coming to Jesus of Nazareth? The Holy Spirit records she heard about him. Oh, praise his name. Faith comes by hearing in hearing by the word of God, she came to the right source. She heard about his power. Oh, his fame spread abroad. He healed people. He raised them. He did things that, of creative nature that no one could explain away or duplicate. Only God could do the things that he did. And the religious hierarchy was were trying desperately to silence it and to do something about it. She heard about it. She heard about his ability to do what no earthly power can do. He can heal. He can save. He can break the power of demon control. He can cleanse lepers, an incurable, incurable disease of that day. He can raise the dead. And she heard and she received and believed at some point before she ever comes to Jesus. 
The Word of God cannot be bound this morning. I don't care what your background is. We read in the book of Revelation that heaven will be populated from people of every race and background and tongue. How do they hear? Well, we know how they hear. Someone must take the message to them. It can go, the Word of God can go into closed countries, in out-of-the-way places, and even enter previously closed minds and hearts and break down defenses and break down wrong philosophies and wrong teaching. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword but can pierce and do surgery on the joints and the marrow of the soul. Something that cannot be dissected on any surgeon's table. The Holy Spirit taking the Word of God can do surgery on the heart. Oh, amazing thing. The power of the Word of God before us this morning. Heard, read, taught, known. She said to herself, no doubt. And we don't know the circumstances other than her child was vexed by demons. Remember that at the coming of our Lord to this earth, the demonic activity was intensified and was at his first coming and will be at his second coming. We'll see the great intensification of the work of Satan on earth when he approaches his coming. And, but she heard, and no doubt she reasoned, if he can do this for others, he can do it for me. I hope if you're here this morning and you're outside of grace, you have never come to Christ in saving faith. If you died this day, you don't know what would happen to you. I want to encourage you. First of all, you've come to the right source, not me or this church, but you've come to Jesus Christ. For where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. And he's always where his word is being preached. He's promised that. So you've come to the right source And I want to encourage you this morning. Have you come to him in this way? She heard of his fame, of his power, and believed it. She received what she heard. Now, many hear, but don't do anything about it. They reason, well, that may be true. Maybe that's a good thing to hear, but they never act on it for themselves. Hebrews 7, verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them that to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Oh, what a promise. In 1 John 1, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. No sin that cannot be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 John 1, 12, you hear me quote it often. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believe. Which were born, born again, not of blood, or, nor of the will of the flesh, but, or the will of man, but of God. Oh, the power of God's word. It can absolutely change people. Regenerate. Transform. Turn them around. We've seen who she was, a saved sinner from a a cursed race. That's all of us, right? We're all a member of Adam's accursed race. And we have no claim. I don't care who you are or where you come from. You have no claim to God except his mercy. 
All we can do is cast ourselves on his mercy. And like the man in the temple, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the heart that God sees. We've seen who she was. We see that she came to the right source. But I want you to see one of the most difficult verses for some to swallow or read in the Bible are the verses that follow. And I want you to know her faith was tested and withstood the Lord's test. And we look there in uh, verse uh, 23. He answered her not a word. She brought her grievous request, deliver my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And Jesus seemingly ignores her. Oh, this is unlike the Christ we hear preached and shown in the scripture. And his disciples came and besought him. And it seems to me, if you read the narrative, he walked away from her. And they never answered her. And she kept calling. And his disciples come up to where he was and saying, send her away. She's bugging us to death. She crieth after us. She, no doubt, I can see her, can't you? Grab his disciples. Make him listen to me. Make him hear me. And they're upset with the whole situation. They see the Lord ignoring her. They said, send her away. That's all religion can do, isn't it? That's all the world can do. Turn the the deaf ear. Turn away from ugliness and sordidness. Send her away. Sometimes, I want you to know this morning, and you need to listen very carefully here to those of you who are saved and know the Lord as well as those who are not saved. Sometimes the Lord chooses to test our faith. And in so doing, he strengthens it and perfects it. His silence, his delay is not unkindness. It is never to be seen in that way, although it feels like it at the time. Her, her grievous situation was not answered, and it looks like he doesn't care, but she knows better. James 1 verse 3 says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, see that? Your faith will be tried. It is no true faith that is not tried. How would you know it was real? How would you know that it endures? Oh, your faith will be tried. Not always to the same degree all the time, but it's always tried. And the Bible says, let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect, entire, lacking nothing. Our Lord's goal in our lives is for us not to lack any good gift, any good thing that he wants to do in our lives. And so your faith will be tried. Anybody that would tell you different knows nothing about the the scripture and about the working of the Holy Spirit and the perfecting of the saints. Now, we see this woman was a believer. She addresses him as the son of David, the Lord. She knows who he is. She's heard, and she's relieved, and she's received. But there's an answer. There's a problem she needs for her loved one. Notice our Lord's response. First, he doesn't answer. That was his response. Is that where you are today? Pastor, I've cried out to the Lord. Uh, I've just besought him, and, and yet he's silent toward me. She kept begging and pleading until the disciples said, send her away. She's crying after us. And they were just admitting their total inability to do anything. We see his response to them in verse 24. Notice what he says. I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what they expected him to say. 
Do you see our Lord is answering them on their level? She expects that. She's a Canaanite. She has no claim. And he's saying exactly what the crowd around him wants to hear, that his people are favored. And it is true. He came to the Jew first. He's come to be the Messiah, the promised Messiah. Jesus Christ is meeting all the Old Testament promises of a Messiah. I must first come to the house of Israel. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say nobody else can come, does he? He's reminding them. He's telling them exactly what they expect him to say and what they want to hear. But am I not sent to the the house of Israel? Oh, yes. Amen, Lord. That's exactly right. Sometimes the Lord tests our faith with his silence. And then sometimes he answers in a way to get us to thinking. Isaiah 30, verse 18. One of my favorite verses, as you know, if you sit under my ministry very long, And therefore will the Lord wait, exactly what we don't want him to do, but therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. That's what she's asking, isn't it? She's asking for mercy. He will wait so that he can give mercy, for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Who else is going to deliver her daughter? Did her false religion of Astarte, did it deliver her daughter? Were the, they had priests. Where were they? They offered, they offered human sacrifices. Did that work? We don't know what she'd been through, but obviously she didn't get an answer from her religion. And she's not getting it from the Jewish religion either, is she? Religion is not the answer. But Jesus Christ is. Our Lord is testing He's testing her faith. He's testing his disciples. He's equipping them. He's showing them how to deal with people. He is testing the onlookers who have joined on the bandwagon because of his great miracles. Sometimes your trial, and listen very clearly here, sometimes your trial is for others around you and not just you. Do you understand that? When one of us in the body of Christ, since we're all connected as the members of your body, I was weeding yesterday near a a rose bush without gloves. I knew that I couldn't see the stem. That's just telling you how bad the weeds were. I shouldn't confess this publicly, but I knew I should have gloves on, but I was impatient. And so I just grabbed a big bundle of weeds and a thorn went up under this little fingernail as far as it could go. Yes, And I'm the biggest baby hypochondriac that ever walked the face of the earth. And, of course, my loving wife said, I'll take care of it, darling. And, of course, you know what I said? You will not touch my hand. Nobody's going to touch my hand. She said, I've got a good pair of tweezers that will get that out. I said, I'm sure you do. And so I, uh, Dr. Booth, I operate on myself. And did a pretty good job of it, I confess. And poured alcohol in my, my requisite peroxide. I put peroxide on everything. But that little member there let me know it was a part of the larger group, right? I mean, it was throbbing. I was, I was just thought I was going to have to go to the emergency room <laughs> and tell them I was too big of a baby to take out a, a thorn under my fingernail. And, the, and Anyway, I'm not going to belabor on that, but my finger hurt. Sometimes your trial is to let others know what God is doing. And when one of us suffer 
It is for all of us to join in and to help and to bear one another's burdens. Amazingly, she wasn't discouraged. Now, you and I would have been put off. I would have been embarrassed if they said, get out, leave them alone. You know, if they tried to send her away, she just kept right on. The faith that gives answers and gives blessing never gives up. Obstacles are nothing. They're bridges. Faith sees a bridge, an obstacle is a bridge to the desired end. Faith knows no obstacles. It transcends them. Verse 25, the Bible says what she did next. And this is appropriate for you and for me in your situation. Then she came. She'd already been. She'd already made her request. She'd already bugged the disciples till they wanted to send her to oblivion. Then she came and worshipped him. Saying, Lord, help me. She came in worship, saying, Lord, help me. Let me just tell you this morning, whatever your case is, whatever your situation is, worship is of the first order. Did you hear me? Worship precedes your need. It precedes every other thing. Seek ye, help me, church, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? All these things will be added to you. Do you see what the Lord is teaching his disciples? So dumb, so thick-headed. Oh, they could tell you the covenants. They could tell you who'd be on the throne of David. They could trace the lineage. They could tell you all those things and tell you the sacrifices. Jesus' silence causes her to come and throw herself down before him in humility and worship. She humbled herself. Oh, what the Lord has to do to humble us. Pride flows through our veins thicker than our blood. It tensions everything that we do is polluted by our pride. And it stands in the way of most blessings. She was not to be outdone. She will not take no for an answer. She throws herself before the Lord in front of everybody and says, Lord, help me. Have you come to that place? We left off every other thing except the Lord, his kingdom, his will, his righteousness, pleading, Lord, Help me. Start where he is. Approach his throne reverently and continually. Sing and sing louder. Pray and keep on praying. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Men, Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. And verse 26 is one of the most unusual and seemingly hurtful insensitive verses in the Gospels. Let's read it together. But he answered her. The first he didn't answer at all, but he, when he does answer, he says, it is not meat. It is not appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now, there were two 
kinds of dogs in that day. I guess there are today. There were the wild cur dogs that were just, they fed off the trash heaps and they were a nuisance. And, and most dogs in that day were in that category. But among few people, very wealthy people, people who had food to spare, which was not most people, there were some who had pets like are very common today. I don't know where these college students get their dogs, but we live right in the middle of it, and every one of them had three or four, it seems, apiece. And they walked in by here. When I was in college, I didn't know, I couldn't keep up with myself in my, my notebook, let alone a dog, too. I'm just confessing my own ineptitude. But I see, it's like every student down here has a, at least one dog. And it's, in, it's inducive, conducive of our society, isn't it? And I'll just leave it at that. And I have one. Lady Lamb rules the roofs. I fed her this morning. But he said it's not appropriate to give the children's food to dogs. Here the children are the house of Israel. He's already said, I've come to the house of Israel. And the children here are the house of Israel. He came first to be the Savior and the Messiah of Israel. He's going by the direct plan of his fathers to fulfill the promises to Abraham about the kingdom centuries before. He does all things by a heavenly pattern at his father's bidding and plan. But this Gentile woman who had a daughter vexed with demons, a Canaanite, knew that his mercy knows no limits. She knew that race and religion did not bind the Savior. That there was enough for pagan dogs, too. You see, in our evangelism and in our politically correct day, we never really get to the heart of the matter as Jesus does. And as a minister and a preacher of this gospel, I will tell you, until you become an abject sinner before the holiness of God, you'll never be saved. If you bring any claim to Christ, if you point to any deed or background or, or anything that you think is a righteous thing, I want to just tell you this morning that it is a filthy, stenching rag in his sight. You don't give the children's food to dogs. What was her answer? Do you see the Lord knows exactly how to deal with this woman because he knows what's in her heart. He knows that she believes. What does she say in verse 27? Truth, Lord. Again, she doesn't move from her being convinced that he is the Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She had no hope, no class, no claim. But she cast herself totally at his mercy and pled for his mercy alone. She pled for free grace. It's the only grace there is. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. One word of his word would send the demons running. One word. Remember the great song, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. 
the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fail him. Francis Dixon writes, The woman said, It is quite true what you say, Lord. I am a dog. I am a sinner. I have no claim to anything. I'm not claiming to have a claim. You're right, Lord. I'm a sinner. I'm a worm. I'm a maggot. I don't deserve anything. And although it wouldn't be right to give me the food meant for them, surely you will not refuse me the privilege of picking up the crumbs that fall under the table. She accepted our Lord's verdict of herself. And she turned it into a good account. Look at closing. Jesus responded, verse 28. We're studying the kind of faith that Jesus commends. Remember what he said about the centurion? I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And the woman who, who bowed before him and washed his feet in, every, in front of everybody. And here, look at what Jesus said. He answered in verse 28 and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. I would rather have the Lord's analysis of me and my faith and my whatever, no matter what you think of me or what anybody else thinks, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Jesus came over 50 miles, over extremely rough mountains to Tyre and Sidon where this woman was. He had an appointment with her. He had come specifically to do this exactly for her and for us today. He went way out of his way to the dogs of the Canaanites. He came to cross paths with this particular woman. He meant to bless her the whole time. He came there to do that very thing. He had sought her out before she was ever thought of seeking him out. What a long way he traveled to bless one soul. And I want you to know this morning that the darling of heaven came all the way from heaven to this sin-cursed earth to take on a body for the sole purpose of dying in your place on that cross, a place where you should have been in Christ alone, who took on flesh, who bore the condemnation, the wrath of God. Oh, how far he's come. He brought you to this place, to this particular venue at this time, to hear this word. Oh, what great grace. Not because of this preacher, but because of his word and his divine arrangement. And if you're hearing this, this word is for you. Our extremity is his opportunity to bless and to show his mercy and to give us the so-called crumbs. I'll take the Lord's crumbs any day, won't you? One crumb from the table of the Lord has more eternal power than all the bread of this earth. Your case is not too hard for him. Your circumstance is not too dire. It is not hopeless. It is not what others have said about you and of your situation. Lay all that aside and lay it before the King of kings and Lord of lords and plead your cause before him this morning. You may think I'm too great of a sinner to come to him. 
Well, what about the thief on the cross? He, did, he couldn't do a thing but to believe on Jesus Christ and he was saved. What about Saul, the chief of sinners who persecuted the church? What about the woman taken in adultery? We could go down the list. If these can be saved, you can be saved. The Lord of glory surrendered to the faith of this poor woman. She kept asking until she received. She kept seeking until she found. And nothing could stop her. She kept knocking and it was open to her. Here is the gospel. The word is near thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we've preached. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's all you need to know. Seize that. For with the heart, the inner man, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all is rich unto all that call upon him. What distinguished her from the other Syrophoenicians? She called upon the name of the Lord. She didn't let her race, her status, her, her background stop her. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He, has bid him, he, he himself has bid thee pray, therefore will not say to thee nay. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and his power are such that none can ever ask too much. O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And all the church said, Amen. Oh, gracious Lord, we love your word. Oh, how it has built our faith. We're resting upon it. Lord, for those of us who've known you have come in this very way and laid ourselves at your feet and pled your mercy and your grace, for we're all great sinners. Lord, when we look into our hearts, even though grace has erased so much of it, oh, the horrible memories of what's still there, the scars of sin, the scars of disobedience. Lord, remind us how great of grace we've experienced. Now, Lord, we're concerned about those who have not bowed before you as this woman has. They've tried everything and they're still trying it, but they've never, ever just totally surrendered and come to the source, the Son of God, and pled your word. Oh, Lord, would you open their hearts, give them your grace and the faith to believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.